Welcome to the Double Barrel Show. We talk about what we know. Some is scripted, some off the cuff. And we talk about movies and stuff. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Double Barrel Show. With me always is my co-host Ben Bernard-Smith. Hi everybody. And myself, Jamie Sellers-Thwaites. And on today's show we're going to be doing, well the first half we're going to be discussing our first video gaming memories. So where it all began. And then after that, the second barrel, we'll be reviewing Baby Driver and The Amazing Spider-Man. So we'll go straight into the first barrel. Otherwise known as Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh yeah, sorry, Spider-Man Homecoming. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one. There's too many. They've rebooted about a million times. It's the Double Barrel Show. Now it's time for the first barrel. Yay! (laughs) So, Ben. Jamie. Your first video game memory. Mm. So you've been born, the world has changed because Ben Bernard Smith has arrived. And then... It was 1992 and I was born. On a dark, blustery night. Yeah. Thundering and the lightning. And I was handed a Game Boy <laughs> straight out of my mother. No, um... <laughs> um... Yeah, so I think I was... Probably about six, um, maybe maybe seven. Um, it's funny, like the early ages of, of that time, like my memories of that time, uh, they all blur together really um, a, a lot. Um, but I remember, well, hang on. If I was in year four, how old would I have been? Um, um, I in year four so if you're in year six you're you're like 10 11 aren't you yeah so if i was in year four about year seven three i'd be about six or about, seven or eight yeah about yeah so about between seven. the age of six and eight um <laughs> my sister borrowed from one of her friends at school just for a weekend uh, a ps1 and on this ps1 there was crash bandicoot warped um, there may have been other games. I think there were, but me and my sister got just obsessed with with uh, with Crash Bandicoot Warped, um, and uh, I remember we, you know, she would play on it, um, you know, as long as she could, and then you know my mum would say it's time for me to have a go, and I would play on it for as long as I wanted, and then I remember coming back from church and just going straight onto the console and my mum was very worried about how obsessed me and my sister were becoming over <laughs> over it um, and uh, then you know it went back to my, my sister's friend and I think in my mum's mind that was it no more video games because it was a um, bad influence probably um, mm-hmm. at that point anyway um, but then many years later I would um be wanting something for my birthday and get a Game Boy Advance, um, but that's a little bit further on. So, Jamie, what's your first video game memory? I'm not a hundred and ten percent sure. You're not a hundred and ten percent sure. No, no. You're hundred and twenty percent sure. Well, I might be hundred fifteen percent. Okay. I I don't know. 
<laughs> when it was. This shows the uh, listeners how well we prepare for these. Uh... No, 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 it's not really that. It's just literally I do not know. Like I can't yeah. remember the first time I ever went on the video game. Like I won't be able to this tell you when it was. This the first time, yeah. Um, well, this, this, that's also st- the thing, because they had PS1s at uh, the Brewster the Bear yes, is. pub thingies around the corner. They had a, a Charlie Chalk fun uh, play yeah. area. And they had PS1s there. So there's yeah. a slight chance I would have played before we got it there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe at the same time, maybe a little bit afterwards, maybe a bit before. But the first big thing I can remember is having the PS1 at home playing Crash Bandicoot. On, on I, Yeah, I definitely played video games before I owned one. I would say my first memory of sitting down and being like, I'm playing this game, was before I owned my PlayStation 1. Now, this is going back to when I was probably about six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I believe it was somebody my mum was seeing, like a boyfriend at the time, uh, went round to his house. I remember he, he like still lived with his parents and he lived in like a garage. <laughs> it was like, you know, when someone does up, it was like a done up garage. It wasn't like an actual garage. Like right. It was just, it used to be the garage and then obviously his dad's converted it or whatever. And I remember there was like a few of them that lived in that house, like he had his sisters and everything. So I remember going round there, and I remember that oh, I got a lot of attention off his, because I was about yeah, I was probably about five or six, and I, I was I was a pretty cute kid to be honest. And then uh, so the girls were always giving me loads of attention, so I, I like that. And then uh, I remember that he had a Dreamcast, mm. and this is in his room. So when all like I say adults, I mean really, my mum was quite young, and he was, and obviously his sisters were probably only about fifteen. Or sixteen, but whilst I thought the grown-ups were talking, I was like, "Can I, can I go and play on your Dreamcast?" So he used to let me go in his room, and then I'd play on the Dreamcast. And the first game that I played was Crazy Taxi. Oh wow! So that was the first game that I actually was like, "I'm playing this." Oh my words! It was like I remember I, it was so exciting. I'd never been so excited over something like because it was it was a the graphics were pretty good for the time. And I just remember it was fascinating how you could drive around this city. You were, like picking people up, and then you had to obviously crazy taxi. I mean, most people played it. Obviously, it's just basically it's a time trial game where you're in San Francisco. You got your taxi, and then you have to go into these marker areas. So you pick somebody up, and then you've got to take them to a certain part of the city in a certain time frame. They don't give you long. I mean, it's a really fast game. So it's quite a good concept, really. Um, and each passenger has a different difficulty. I think there's green passengers, amber passengers, and red passengers. So red is really, really hard. Green was easy. And I could do the green ones. Like I was able to do them. And I think some of the yellow ones I could. But, I mean, I wasn't very good at all. Uh, and, yeah, I, I just remember thinking it was amazing. And I really liked, it's really weird, but I liked the product placement. Like, I remember liking it because there was, like, Pizza Hut and KFC in it. So I remember thinking, oh, I know those. Like, I recognise stuff. But I quite like. I just really like. I thought it was an amazing game. And uh, I kept pestering them. Like, we were trying to have, like, weekends away and all this kind of stuff. And I was just, like, constantly going, can I play Crazy Taxi? When are we getting back so I can play Crazy Taxi? So, uh, yeah, that was that. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's my first memory. Crazy Taxi on the Dreamcast. Cool. In short. Well, I, I think the next thing... Uh, after Crash, explaining Crash, by the way, for the you, you explain Crazy Taxi. I didn't really explain what Crash Bandicoot is for those that don't know it. it you play as this Bandicoot called Crash, um, and you um, the levels are mostly um, you you view the levels from behind Crash running forwards 
and the levels are kind of like very well dressed uh, hallways um, that you, you you go through and there's different enemies and different things you jump on and crates and um, sometimes there's like a, a bonus level that you can find in them um, and, and some of the levels are side scrollers um, and uh, yeah it's just a very good platforming game and I wonder if that's the reason why I've um, that and also the fact that when I uh, got my Game Boy Advance I think those are probably the two reasons why I have a, such a love for platforming games because the first two games I got for my Game Boy Advance um, were Yoshi's Island and Warrior Land 2 and I managed to convince my mum that a Game Boy that I would be able to uh, that, that I was allowed to have a Game Boy I think because it was it was smaller than you know something that went on the TV it wasn't as in your face so um, it would be not as easy to get obsessed over um, and uh, yeah I just remember absolutely loving Yoji's Island and Warrior Land 2 really enjoying those uh, and then um, I think it was potentially around the same time that I uh, my my maybe it was a little bit afterwards it all gets a bit blurry, blurry because I I managed to convince my mum that I could get a Super Nintendo Entertainment System because it, it was similar graphically to the Game Boy Advance. Um, so in my was, yeah, I was able to somehow just convince her um, in my terrible te- uh, young kid kid way that it's basically the same thing but for TV, so it's fine. Um, and then after that, um, I was able to be able to get a, a Nintendo sixty four. Um, and then I was able to get a GameCube and this was, you know I mean, the Super Nintendo and the N64 were both old systems by this point but mm. just because they were cheaper and um, uh, and then eventually I made my way to the GameCube and um, and then with my, you know I continued to get Nintendo systems ever since but um, somewhere within all that mix I discovered Rollercoaster Tycoon <laughs> Potentially number two, I think, was actually maybe the first one that I played with my uh, mm. my my dad was a, was a fan of this as well because he really likes um, theme parks and uh, roller coasters, so it's a big thing for him. Um, so yeah, it, it all gets a bit mixed up, but potentially um, roller coaster tycoon might have come before the snares, but I'm not sure. Um, I, I, like you, it's it's hard to sort of see, but Rokas Tycoon Two, the theme park building sim, um, I remember getting extremely obsessed with that, as 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 you did, Jamie, didn't you? But would would that be your, one of your next memories, or would yeah. something come? From it actually next? is. I was just I was smiling when you said it because, yeah, the 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 very next um, game probably roughly would be Rollercoaster Tycoon. Uh, the first and one. I, Sorry, the first one. The f- first one. The no, next I, one after I, I played Crazy Taxi, and then after that it was Rollercoaster Tycoon. No, no, I'm saying Rollercoaster Tycoon or Rollercoaster Tycoon Two. Oh, sorry, yeah, the first one. The first <laughs> sorry, one. I didn't know what you meant. I was confused. Um, I don't know why. Uh, so yeah, so and uh, it wasn't mine. It was a mate Andrew's. I think I've definitely mentioned this bit on a previous podcast, but Andrew, he, he only lived literally just up the road. So we used to run between houses when we were little, and uh, yeah, the the um, that was one. That I I don't know if that came before Crazy Taxi. I don't think it did. And uh, but yeah, Rollercoaster Tycoon, and I used to always love going around there just to play that. And then um, it it was a, a 
yeah, it was. It's a very, very good game. I don't think we fully understood how to play it when we first played it. Um, his older sister played it, I think, and we just sort of nicked it in, in a way. We just sort of took over. Um, and I remember when we first did it, we just didn't understand really what we were doing. We didn't. We. I guess I don't know why we didn't know it was a business management game and that you had to build the park. I don't know what we were really doing with it, but we were messing around. Um, and it didn't take too long until we figured out what was what was going on, and then we played it so much. And then it was probably maybe six or seven months after that, I finally got mum to bite me. And then I was playing it at home then as well. But even now, that is a game that I can revisit, is Rollercoaster Tycoon, because it's so well made. And because the graphics are in a, a top-down sort of 2D perspective, uh, I can't, you know what I mean, the, the style of graphics, mm. that it somehow still holds up, I can't explain, but it's a very, very well-made game. Um, so yeah, that was probably the next one. I absolutely loved that game. Um, and, and, and I'll just quickly add to that as well, just because it's kind of like ties in. It was around the same time I played Theme Hospital as well. Oh right, yeah. Um, which is basically the hospital equivalent of Rollercoaster Tycoon, um, and that, that was a British game. Oh, actually, I think both Rollercoaster Tycoon and Theme Hospital are, are both British games. And um, so yeah, that that was a really good one, building hospitals and various things. And I've definitely mentioned that in another podcast as well. But th- those two games stick with me all the time. I thought they were just absolutely terrific. So yeah, both business management games. So and then after that, what what came next? Well, so now we're probably around two thousand, the year two thousand. Yeah. Um, and. That was the Christmas that I got my PlayStation 1. So that was kind of when I, uh, the whole PlayStation kind of thing kicked off. Um, so I remember getting that. My mum did a terrible job, by the way, of when, when I got the, the when I got my PlayStation. She didn't, she didn't put the PlayStation first and then I opened my games. What she did, she put the... The way she laid the presents out under the tree, the first thing I opened was a game. Oh, okay. So it was like, well, obviously I know what's coming. And then the PlayStation was right at the back and was the last thing that I opened. It was like, what a surprise when I got to it. Because I knew what it was straight away because of the size of the box. Um, But yeah, so I got my PlayStation 1. And one of the first games I got for that was a racing game. And that was... uh, Let me try and remember what it was called. It was called... I think it was called Toka Race Driver 2 or Toka Racing 2. No, Toka Touring Cars 2. That was it. Right. Uh, made by Codemasters. Uh, and yeah, it was all about touring cars. Um, uh, I don't know if it was set around the world or if it was just set in Britain. Um, but yeah, that was a really, really good uh, racing game for PlayStation 1. And there was a lot of really, really good maps on it. And I remember the further you got into the racing game... The, the the more that you unlocked silly tracks just to mess about on and I, I really distinctively remember a track where I was in a Jaguar and then it was a city circuit and then there was a bit where you go through a shopping centre and you go down like the escalators in Jaguars and I thought that was like intense but most <laughs> of it was it was like a sensible racing game but it was just like little silly bits like that that you could unlock as you go through it so yeah that, that was the next one along when I got my Playstation hmm. it seems to be a lot more old games have those kind of ridiculous things in them than the newer ones. Yeah, you would never, you would never, for example, in Formula One, like the latest Formula One game, you would never get a silly bit like that. Or yeah. in uh, Project Cars, 
it seems a bit of a shame, really, because it was actually quite good fun, just like messing with the physics engine. Obviously, it wasn't to be taken. So it was just like literally like, what would happen if we drove these massive racing cars through a shopping centre? Yeah, like that would be so cool if they did that now, like or through an airport or whatever. Um, yeah, having said, the, that, having said that, um, Horizon, uh, Forza Horizon, the most recent one. Yeah, Forza Horizon 3, I believe, is the most recent They've brought out a, um, I think it's, I feel like it's Micro Machines or Hot Wheels yeah. well, expansion. I would say, cool. though, that, yeah, I mean, that is similar, I suppose. They are doing, but I think Forza Horizon does have that slightly tongue-in-cheek personality to it. I don't think it's, because it's not as serious as Forza Motorsport. Mm. Um, although Forza Motorsport does have car... Bowling, where you have to knock over the ten pin, uh, ten oh, pins right. over. Um, but you don't roll the car; you just have to drive into them. So it's kind of silly, but I, I really do think they should do more things. Where you know, imagine doing, imagine this: like having the physics of project cars and having the vehicles just function just as they are. But then you're on like Rainbow Road off Mario Kart, like something mm. like that. I'd be That'd really be interesting good. to see what it's like. Mm. I'd really enjoy that. I think. So yeah, so that so that would be my next one. Would yeah, would be Talker uh, Talker Touring Cars Two, and there was a lot of really cool cheats in there as well. And I can't remember what they did. I just I always remember me and Dad putting cheats in, and that was another part of the memories as well with early early video games. Was always I always did them with Dad. Mm. Uh, I suppose this is going back to yeah two thousand. So Dad was still into his video games. He was he, he kind of. Dad came out of video games. His interest in video games ended around the PlayStation 2. Kind of when it got into the middle of PS2, he kind of fizzled off with video games, really. Right. So, yeah. So, what about you? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I sort of stepped up from... I, I missed out the Nintendo Entertainment System, um, but went from Game Boy Advance to SNES. Um, and I played that for... I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks. I had Super Mario All-Stars on it. Um, but I'd set my sights on a Nintendo 64 um, just because it, you know, it was a 3D system. Um, and I, and uh, so I went to Game Station, I think, and traded in my SNES and bought a Nintendo 64. And with it, I got Super Mario... No, I got... Uh, yeah, I think I got Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. Um, and played on those loved them i still think um mario kart 64 is is uh holds up today as a racer really really fun and super mario 64 obviously still holds up as a platformer um and then yeah and it wasn't long after that that um i for christmas got uh, a gamecube with um super mario sunshine mario kart Double Dash, Worms 3D, potentially one of the Monkey Ball games. I feel like, yeah, it was, I think it. I think that was those were the games. Maybe there's something else. Um, and I, I absolutely loved Super Mario Sunshine, um, and and just looks. It looked so gorgeous, like just really beautiful 
um, um, you know, games and going from the Nintendo sixty four to the GameCube and seeing that progression was was um, just amazing, really, really good. Um, and and yeah, as I say, just from that point, I I bought I bought a Wii and then a Wii U and now a Nintendo Switch. So I've carried on with Nintendo all these years. Obviously, now I've got a PS four as well, but yeah. Um, but Nintendo, they still I still hold their light for them in my heart. Um, I know you do, Ben. It's nice, but it is nice to kind of follow a. a for me, it's always PlayStation. Mm. Uh, I've, I think I've had every single one. Although I did switch temporarily at secondary school to Xbox, I got a 360. But then a couple of years later for Christmas, because I bought the 360 myself, and then, and then uh, a couple of Christmases later, I think Dad got me a PS3. So it still kind of was in there a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people switched to 360 um, in that generation just because the PS3 was insanely expensive. Mm. And, just... and the 360 came out first. Yeah. So already a lot of people, all the rich kids, already had their 360s and everyone wanted to obviously play with the friends online. So it was a case of getting that. Like I would never have got a 360 if it wasn't for the online element, right? Because because all my friends at school, like literally everybody, pretty much, unless they had both, everybody had a 360. So it was literally just no point me buying. But it's interesting because I feel like different pockets of the country is different. Because our friend Jack, I was speaking to him, and he said everybody in Milton Keynes had a PS3, and they all got them together. So yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. But definitely here in the Rubble Valley. Everybody had a 360. Like, literally, pretty much everybody I knew. So, it was interesting how that kind of worked. Yeah, I think it's it's literally one of those chance things where, you know, the, the early adopters will get whichever system. Mm. Yeah, um, and then everyone copies them then. Yeah. Less so now. Um, I don't think I really care what anyone's got, to be honest. Um, yeah, one thing I will quickly say, though, is yeah, after, after I played... After I played the Tokotoring cars and I had a few other little games like that, I got Gran Turismo, which is another racing game. I probably oh, don't yeah. need to explain what Gran Turismo is because it's like PlayStation's biggest racing franchise. Um, and that was, for me, that was, for PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2, from Gran Turismo 1 to Gran Turismo 4, my favourite game, hands down. It was so well made. There was so much to it. It's basically the clo- it's the closest you can get to a racing RPG is Gran Turismo because obviously you can upgrade your car, you have your money, you have licenses. It's like you build like a, ho- a whole career and a profile. Um, that was my favourite game and I always remember playing that endlessly. Like honestly in the morning my friends would come round before school and we'd manage to get half an hour in. Mm-hmm. Then we'd go to school, primary school and then we'd come back and then we'd play it then until tea. Mum wasn't happy with that. Uh, and I, I always remember just sitting up or if my friends used to sleep over we'd literally be on it till really late at night just playing Gran Turismo got to do another race got to do another race and we were like saving up and we were obsessed with it um, and then the last memory I'd say from childhood really before it kind of was into teenage years which I'm not fully counting um, yeah is for you, like with you is Crash Bandicoot yeah. um, particularly Crash Bandicoot 3 Crash yeah. Bandicoot Warped um, and that was one that I played with dad so we'd always like stay up um, playing that and like at sat- like Saturday nights and stuff. Thing is, I was all right at it, but especially when it got to the later levels, it was just a case of having a go and then just handing the controller to my dad, who would then 
who would then do it. The annoying thing is, though, when I wasn't at his house on the weekends, like during the week, if because my PlayStation was kept there sometimes, he'd literally just be playing it without me. So I'd get back and he'd be like, look at all these crystals I've got. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, no. Um, so, yeah. Crash Bandicoot, I have a, kind of a, a big nostalgia effect on that, really. And you can tell that's probably half the reason that they've they've remade it recently, because they know that our generation are going to go and buy it, which you have. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so. it's, it's sold like crazy. And Activision have said that um, they're going to they're definitely going to do more reboot remaster uh, games um, so I'm assuming we'll get a remake of the original Spyro trilogy for PS1 um, does this mean though way. that they're also going to continue Crash Bandicoot potentially but new. I think the big the big rumour I mean maybe this is just a desire that's grown into a rumour is Crash Team Racing yeah I think I've got a feeling they'll do that because um, I, I would love them to see that because that, that's shouldn't... just a really cool racer it shouldn't be. They shouldn't complete like you know how this one. It's almost remade, almost identical. Yeah. I don't think Crash Team Racing should be. I think they should completely do redo the physics engine and things like that, but keep like the general design of the tracks and the characters and everything and the carts. And uh, but I think they well, should they've, redo they've the physics. A lot about so it's a bit more like Mario Kart, basically. They've they've changed a lot with Insane Trilogy. Like oh. it's weird. They've they've kept. By the sounds of it, because I don't remember the originals very well, they kept a lot of things the same, but they've changed other things as well. It's 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 odd. So I think, um, I think I think they know what they're doing. I mean, I, I've only played through the first game so far, and I'm still trying to find gems from the first game. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to move on to the second one and do the same. So how, get, a, get a good amount of play out of each of them. How are you finding it so far? Well, the first one is flipping hard. Uh, People keep saying this, but is it actually hard? Like, oh yeah, it... no. The first game is 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 annoying. Like it's a it's hard and it's um it it's annoyingly hard in that it does things like for instance there'll be you'll jump onto this um you'll be jumping between little platforms and then you'll jump onto. Uh, a bigger area where this is like a side scroller level um where there's an enemy that has a path where it jumps and it turns around to to do its first jump and you jump onto it to spin to try and kill it but because of the fact it's not done it's not started the animation yet or something like that you can't kill it so what happens is you spin onto it it knocks in and then it sort of knocks into you and you you fall down and fall down the hole if right. That makes sense. Does that make yeah, yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? So yeah. it, it does. It does annoying things like that. Um, right. But at the same time, there are some just really difficult uh, levels, and they've added a level that was originally made for the first game, but um, it was deemed too difficult, so they they kept it out of the game. Um, so so I played that the other day and beat it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah it's really hard um, but apparently they sort of progressively get easier in a sense so I'm looking forward to, um, to the second one and the, third, and the third one especially they get easier in the terms that they're just better made they were designed better with the levels yeah so the difficulty but, is, is more based on um, actual skill instead of annoying like yeah but yeah. I will say Crash 3 when you start getting into the later levels, there are some really hard ones. They have ones oh, yeah. where the lights just go off, and you have to memorize the the route. 
Oh, yes. And you're just doing it in pitch black. Like, you can't actually see where the drops are or anything. It's crazy. So that's something to look forward to. <laughs> I remember some really great levels from Crash 3. It was the ones that, um, they, where they had, um, uh, like, you were Coco on the back of a tiger in China on, on the, the yeah. um, Great Wall of China. And I think you the music a... was really annoying on that level as well. The music? Yeah, the music on that particular level. And like, do, 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 do. It's like quite... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's like yeah. really kind of like I can't, I can't <laughs> do it but it's like really all over the place I just found it annoying after a while especially uh, when you've been doing it over and over and over again um, well give me two or three weeks and I'm sure we'll review yeah I was going to say I'd love to love one. to see a review uh, yeah it looks absolutely beautiful does the game the, mm. the work that they've done on it they've really so. designed it well and the animations are, be- are really good anyway we're sort of getting away from the point so um, yeah you need to get you, you, you need to finalise I've finalised my thoughts now on, on, my, on my early memories Um, I was going to say something and I've forgotten what I was going to say now. Oh yeah, I was going to say that I, I I remember going over to friends' houses and um, we used to rent games. This is sort of my final memory that came into my head. We used to rent games from Blockbuster mm-hmm. to play on uh, the PS2. Um, and then the the two ones that I really remember were The Simpsons Road Rage, which is basically Crazy Taxi. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of it being just normal people it's simpsons characters uh, and that was great fun i remember we rented that and played it for hours and hours and hours um and then also jack three i went i went to a sleepover once and we were playing jack three uh which is also made made by naughty dog who made the crash bandicoot games um i remember going over and playing some of that and that was a great game and they're going to be releasing those on ps4 soon so that will be um that'll be fun to play uh, yeah, so I think video games really were a massive part of my childhood, and and I think yours, Jamie, as well. So yeah, it was, um, and I think they'll continue to be part of our lives going forwards. So yeah. Right then, so that sums that up. Although I will say, which it bothers me a little bit, but I would say in recent years. Video games just don't do what they did for me in the past. I don't know why. I don't know. I think it's just my tastes might be changing. Mm. Uh, a little bit more busy. I have less free time than I did when I was um, a teenager or a child. So I've kind of less time to really get engrossed in a game, especially when they like it's a challenging one. I don't know. I just never. I forget to play them. Like I've 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 recently bought Project Cars um, in the Steam summer sale, and I really like racing games. I've got a steering wheel for it. It's just like I haven't played it. I played it once, and then it's just sort of like I've forgotten. And it does seem to be a common trend with me at the well, moment. Well, you don't have video to play games. games, but I would say that, like, it's just I think I think because we're older now, and we've played so many games, it's hard to find something which really takes the breath away, because we we've, we've had yeah. all those experiences. We we you know when we were younger, um, we played. You know, we would play games that aren't as good, really. But because they were the the first, you know, some of the first games that we played, they have, you know, uh, an extra shine to them in a sense. Um, and I know that for me, Zelda Breath of the Wild was one of the best video game experiences I've ever had, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that only that was only this year. So I think that you just need just need to find that game. 
I, I, th- I think I do. And get I, I haven't. I haven't had one where <laughs> I know. I probably do need to get a switch to one. It's so that they look so good. They're so compact. Like they don't. There's no like you could just have it in the corner of the room. You don't even need to use a TV. Like you could just yep. look so neat and tidy. Like I like that. Oh, maybe we'll see. But um, it's like my I, I've got an iPad and people play games on that, and I see my mates all the time little puzzle games. I think I just no interest in it at all. Well, don't play them then. You don't have to. No, but I feel like I don't know what what's happening. Like I'm just sort of slipping away. Like oh no. Uh, but well, that's okay. I, I, you'll you'll come back. I remember there was a period in my teens of about half a year maybe when I just wasn't that fussed about games and I looked at my game system I think it was a GameCube or maybe it was the Wii at that point no I think it was a GameCube I looked at GameCube I looked at my games and I was like I can't be bothered with these I was, I was, I was almost at the point where I was thinking of selling them mm. and then you know another game came out and I got into that again so yeah I mean I, I always I, like, I'm thinking like Grand Theft Auto like whenever I play that like I get fully engrossed in that so that's still a game that captures me a little bit um, and the last other game was, I think, Tomb Raider. It was the first of the reboots of Tomb Raider. Like, I played that game solidly. Oh, right. Weeks. I tried to get into that, and I wasn't that fussed. I don't know why. So I really liked it. I thought it was really decent. Red Dead um, Redemption 2, Jamie. Just wait for that. Uh, no, but I can't play it because I, I haven't got a system for it. Oh, no. But anyway. So, moving on. Uh, it's time for the news. This is The Double Barrel Show. Now it is time for the news. So, Ben, it is time for the news. Yes. So, uh, what are the headlines today? So, this week's news is that My Little Pony the movie has got a PG rating. And now to the second barrel. E by gum, it's time for the second barrel. Right, now, just before we go into the second barrel, I have... An experience I want to share with everybody. Ooh. This is this is like the barrel because it's a bit like it's to do with video games. So um, two weeks ago, a week ago, two weeks ago, I went on holiday to Wales with my friends, uh, and we stayed at this resort where they had VR set up. Ooh! So it was my first ever experience of VR, um, and they had to, we had to book it out. It was a bit embarrassing because it was in the kids' room. It was in the kids' play area. And I come bounding into like the reception area, just like, oh, yeah, I never got on the VR. And then they were just like, oh, you've got to book in. So I booked in. And they're like, you've got to give a £10 deposit. But then she didn't take it off me because she said she trusted me. And then she, she took me practically by the hand to the children's area. <laughs> and she had to, like, scan her hand in, like, a thumb in, because obviously they had to keep all, like, adults out. But then I came in like, oh, yeah. And then they sat me down and then they, they set it all up. And then she was just like, will you be all right with that? And she was like, she was like, just be careful. It might make you sick. I was just like, okay. And it's just left me there. And uh, they didn't even bother like telling me that I needed to leave. They kind of literally left me there for about an hour and a half. And the games they had, it was on the PlayStation. The problem was it was on the PlayStation Slim, not the PlayStation Pro. But oh, okay. really, it's really meant for the PlayStation Pro because the yeah. PlayStation Pro runs at 4K. Yeah. Slim runs at 1080p. So imagine a 1080p screen wrapped around your face. Like you are literally touching the... So you, can, it's, you can't see the pixels, but it is really blurry. Like it doesn't look crisp like a 1080 monitor does when you're quite far away from it. I mean, it is literally wrapped around your face. Um... The good thing, have you had a go on VR? 
Um, I've, I've had to go on bits of VR, but nothing, nothing proper. It does look like you're there. Yeah. So that is good. Um, I was playing um, Drive Club VR. Oh right. Um, and honestly, I was like, as soon as like I was sat in the car, I was just like, whoa, because it really was like the steering wheel was there, the roof was there, and when I looked behind myself, I could see the back seats, and everything was it was there. The only issue was it was really blurry. It looked like it looked like uh, I needed. It felt like I needed glasses. That was the best way to describe what it looked like, um, which was a shame, and it really made me nauseous. I mean, at first it was fine, but the blurriness did start to bother me. And then I was on, I was in a Lotus Elise on one of the car, uh, one of the tracks in Edinburgh, going around like skidding around like all the streets, and then there was like a speed, not a speed bump, sorry, like um, like a bridge to go over a, a river or a canal. And I went over that, and obviously, in real life, you get that sensation that your stomach has gone in, you know, it's gone up a little bit. But because you don't get that, but your body expects it, you get a really weird feeling. Like, you expect to drop, but you don't, and it's, it makes you feel a bit ugh. Uh, and the other game, and I can't remember what it was called, was... Um, oh, I'm trying to remember what it was called... You are basically in a spaceship flying around. You can go all over the place, barrel roll, and it's like a shooter. And you're inside the cockpit. You can see all the controls. You can see your imaginary hands on the joysticks. And you can see, like, your fake legs. And you're, like, literally, like, in this cockpit zooming around. And that, oh, my word. Ooh. I was was pretty sick after that. And I was playing it for about an hour and a half. And then after, I had to have at least half an hour with a cup of tea, like, sat in the chair. Just like, oh, no. Oh no! Because I really like, yeah, and it made me feel really, really strange. Uh, and closing thoughts: the most disturbing thing about VR is not having legs. Oh, right. Because I was in the car, and then I looked down, and it was just a seat. Oh, that's but I, good. Because I actually felt like I was in the car. Looking down, I was just like, oh, and it, it, it does give you a weird. I can't describe the feeling. It's like your brain tingles with like it doesn't understand what's going on. It's struggling, even though you know what's going on. It, it's struggling somehow. Um, so it, it, it's definitely not there. For, I would never. I wouldn't recommend anyone gets a, um, a VR with PlayStation Slim. It looks terrible. Wait, either get a Pro or get one on PC, or just wait until the technology gets better and they figured out all the problems with it. I can absolutely guarantee all racing games will come with legs <laughs> in the future. Because not having legs was really weird. Project yeah. Gotham Racing yeah. 7, now with legs. Yeah, that would be like the selling point at E3. It's like, yeah, we've heard your concerns, now we've got legs, and all the crowd are like, yeah! <laughs> so there we go. That was my little experience, just to, to insert that there. So we're reviewing stuff. We're reviewing yes. Baby Driver and Spider-Man Homecoming. Review Spider-Man Homecoming, go! Go! Right, so, Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, so, uh, yeah, so this was a really good film. I enjoyed it a lot. And it is leading on from, uh, Captain America Civil War, where we first were introduced to, um, Tom Holland as Peter Parker, aka Spider-Man. And, um, I I really liked, uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker in Spider-Man Civil War. He came across for the first time, unlike Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's versions, 
of Spider-Man. Uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, he was properly came across as a 14-year-old boy. Um, this 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 kid who is a superhero, which which is what Spider-Man is. Um, so I loved him in Civil War. He was he was joke. He made the jokes. He had you know had, they made him you know look like he had the agility and and the character really really good. <coughs> Excuse me. And then obviously this film centers completely on on him. Um, and it involves. Um, him just learning the ropes of being Spider-Man, trying really, really hard to be um, this big hero to try and be like like all the other adult superheroes. And it involves it has uh, Toby, no, sorry, Tony Stark in it, played by Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Um, and uh, yeah, he is involved in that, and he he's just a really good kind of mentor slash. Um, I don't know. Almost agitator like person that he can sort of look up to, but also be sort of like, I, I want to be like you, but I'm not. Kind He's of. He's a role model for him. Yeah, kind of a role model. Kind of a. Kind of a role model. Um, so that that's that's really good. His inclusion in the film was a very uh, very good idea, um, and the the villains cool. Uh, Michael Keaton played by Vulture. Uh, Michael Keaton played by Vulture. <laughs> Vulture played by Michael Keaton. Um, and uh, that all ties into... Um, uh, the, the story ties into stuff that's happened in previous Marvel movies. So it's sort of continuing continuing on um, the the story, filling in some of the, the blanks and ideas from, from previous films. So that's really cool. Um, and... Yeah, just delivers a really a really nice story, a really um, fun story, and a, and, a, and a story where it shows a vulnerable superhero, like a properly vulnerable um, hero. Where unlike when you watch an Iron Man movie or a Thor film or Captain America, when you know when they're in situations where they are in peril, you think. Oh, they'll get out of it. You know, they've they've got uh, a suit on, or they've got really, really, um, they're really, really strong, or they're you know from another planet. But this is a fifteen-year-old boy, mm. and when he's in those vulnerable situations, you properly feel it. And I think that's that's one of the real um, pluses for the film compared to other superhero movies is that it is that it really brings that across. And you really feel for for Peter Parker. Um, there's lots of friends around him because obviously Peter Parker is a teenager at school, and there's lots of characters uh, that are his uh, friends and other people at the school. Uh, and um, this is it's not a criticism; it's just a um, I've always really wanted to see on screen the the way that the comics dealed with Peter Parker's early days at school. Uh, with him dating Gwen Stacy, um, and then spoiler alert: if you've not seen the Amazing Spider-Man two, Gwen Stacy dies. Dun and dun then, dun. And then uh, he um, starts dating Mary Jane, and then you know gets with Mary Jane, and then they get married. And, dah, dah, dah. and I, I really think that's quite an interesting arc because instead of his first love being the person he ends up with, it's actually the not; it's actually the second person. Um, and I've always thought that was interesting. I've always wanted to see that happen, um, but. 
what they do instead is they introduce um, uh, a different lady that he, uh, a girl that he uh, called Liz that he is attracted to, and um, his best friend is a guy called Ned, uh, and he is like an amalgamation of different characters. And there's another girl called Michelle who's um, she's really cool. She's a really good, well thought out character, Manuel, who is I think also they call him Flash. So that's like another character. But instead of them being actual characters from the comics, they're kind of like amalgamations of different characters from uh, the uh, over the, the, the course of Spider-Man's comic book history. Which is kind of good and kind of not at the same time. Because in, in ways I think they're actually stronger characters because of it. But in other ways I think that they could have actually adapted characters... Um, uh, from the comics and 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 put and put those into the into the film. However, we have seen you know uh, one version of Mary Jane already and one version of Gwen Stacy already, um, and you know other friends of Peter Parker. So it does sort of give it a freshness, and it also means yeah. that they can bring in characters of different uh, nationalities um, and ethnicities, uh, which is good. So um, yeah. uh, that's a plus. And also Ned, his best friend, is just really really. A really good character, um, so uh, yeah, it's a, a great film. Uh, the one thing I wasn't happy about was I think whenever you do a reboot, even if it's like the third or fourth or fifth reboot, you should approach it as if it's the first film of that character that somebody's ever seeing, and they they ca- kind of skirt over and don't even really explain the the um, where Peter's parents are. They don't explain that Uncle Ben has died. Um, and the way that they start the film, I think they could have very easily um, they could have very easily summarized that um, because they they sort of summarize what happened in Civil War, and I think they could have gone back even further and summarized what happened um, with you know his early days as Spider Man, um, and then Uncle Ben dying and and all that kind of thing, and it just would have given a little bit more context. Um, but not treaded the same steps in a big way that, that the other films have. But ha- having said all that, really nice first film for Spider-Man, and um, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the next one. Honestly, I, I've heard that um, because obviously we've had two origin stories now with the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield um, Spider-Mans. Uh, and that because obviously this one skips that out because we all know what happened. We all know he gets bitten by the spider and we know everything really. We don't need to see it again. The, the, it actually opens up for more character development and there's more to him now because of it. I don't know if that's something that what you What do you mean there's more, more to it? No, I don't know. I just, I just heard that because there's, le- there's less time talking about how he becomes Spider-Man more time developing his character. Yeah, um... That is, yeah, that that I I could I could potentially agree with that, um, but as I say, I think they could have just summarised it in some form. Right. So you would have preferred them to have explained it a little bit the the origins. Yeah, I think as I say, I think it's just the fact that when you, um, uh, I mean, this is my problem with Batman v Superman in that it doesn't really give Batman's origin at all. Um, and Suicide Squad that they don't give the origins of them as villains first, they go straight into them being anti-heroes, is that you don't connect with the characters um, you you don't you don't get where they're coming from as much and actually, to be honest, the film almost, 
it doesn't really need the Uncle Ben thing. It almost seems like that hasn't even happened, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, which could either be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but th- that's just a tiny thing. I mean, honestly, honestly, it's a very, um, very good film. Um, and I think I will give it a solid eight barrels out of ten. Well, that's very good. Very, very good. So there we are. Spider-Man Homecoming. Eight barrels out of ten. Um, I don't think I'll be going to see it anytime soon. But maybe if I do at some point, I'll, I'll give my, my opinions on it. Um, so moving on. Um, a couple of weeks back, um, I went to see Baby Driver. Now then, I'm going to try my best to review this. Because it has been a couple of weeks. And the memory has kind of faded a little bit. The memory um, faded. Oh, my memory has just faded just ever so slightly. But I will try and endeavour to review it. But oh, uh, please do. Um, first things first, I was really put off by the title. Baby Driver sounds really strange. It sounds like a comedy. I imagine it being yeah, it like really the baby does. in the big city. I imagine this toddler like behind the wheel of a van or something out of control. And it's like three men and a baby kind of humour and everything. I don't know. It's, and I can imagine it being made in the 80s. But um, yeah. So I was a bit like, hmm, yeah. But then I watched the trailer and I did think it looked really good. Um, it's, it is, it's a hard one to describe because I explain the film to people and I think they, they, they think it's going to be a bit like, you you know the film series uh, The Transporter? That kind of, uh, aiming for that kind of an no, audience. I, I don't, so I don't know if the audience... All oh, right, um, but that's the way when I've described it to people, they've, they've gone, all oh, right, so it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's like, no, not at all. Because The Transporter is a bit like Fast and the Furious, and I feel like it's more aimed at teenagers, and it's like a summer blockbuster, not very well-made film. Whereas this is a really well-crafted film. I went in uh, not really knowing what to expect, although I had seen the trailer, so I knew it was going to be a bit quirky. Um it's directed by Edgar, uh, Edgar Wright, who directed the uh, Cornetto trilogy, which is Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and uh, World's End. Um, so you kind of know what to expect with him. He's, he's done like a lot of comedies. He also did Scott Pilgrim uh, versus the World. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. So very quirky, very creative films. Um, this, though, is definitely... I went in to see this film not knowing he directed it. But then when I saw that he directed it, I, I kind of, I was like, oh yeah, of course. But it is more serious than these previous films that you'll have seen. This is definitely um, set in the real world. People react. It's not a comedy, but funny things happen in it. And it's, it's, it's very quirky. It's, it's, almost, it's very similar to a Tarantino film, if that makes sense. Um, it has that okay. kind of vibe to it. But... Um, it's very, very, very violent. Oh, is it? Very, very violent. Oh, I um, didn't know that. Yeah, it is really violent. Um, doesn't detract from the film at all. It makes things seem very real. So, just a quick summary of the story. But I, I, I'm very worried that I'm going to give too much away. Um, well, so, just a quick sort of summary. Give give away it, the premise in the first little mm, bit. Is um, the, the main character, which is played by uh, Ansel uh, Elgort, um, who was trying to remember the name of the character. What on about the name of the character? It's called Baby. Of course it's called Bloody... I was like, what's he called? So yeah, so he plays uh, Baby, who is a getaway driver for um, the character played 
by Kevin Spacey, who's called Doc. Um, we don't really know too much about their relationship when the film starts. I won't go into too much into it, but we know that they know each other personally, whereas all the other gangsters and crooks that are involved in this kind of organisation don't really know each other because Doc, who is the leader, likes to kind of move things around. He doesn't like to have the same people working on a heist twice. Um, and they go and rob banks and rob various different places to this gang. Uh, and Doc always insists that Baby is the getaway driver because he's the best getaway driver there is. But there is obviously something a little bit more to it for why he's constantly getting Baby to come back and do it. Um, Baby's interesting. His character, he has uh, tinniness, so he ha- always has to. He always has ringing in his ears, so he's always listening to music, and that's kind of his little character quirk. Um, and we learn a bit more about why that is is the case as as the film goes on. And he's just basically an absolutely amazing driver. But he's got an agreement that after so many heists, he doesn't want to do it anymore. And he isn't really a criminal. He's actually in this for for different reasons, which I won't spoil again. Um, But as the film goes on, he gets more and more involved in this criminal underworld uh, and basically wants out. And that's basically the premise of the story, is him having to do these heists but not wanting to do these heists. And he doesn't agree with murder or death or anything like that. And he basically just wants to get himself out of this world. And that is basically the premise of Baby Driver. He also um, stars Lily James, which is a a British actress. And she becomes um, a love interest with Baby. Um, And he obviously doesn't want her to get involved in this this world. Uh, He also has another character in his life who's completely separate to all this. um, And it's his foster father. Um, and he he kind of wants to look after he, his, his foster father has become old and frail and he's trying to protect him from this criminal world as well um, so it's kind of he starts getting torn, it gets very intense it definitely turns into a thriller because he's trying to protect the people in his life protect himself, he's trying to get away from this life but you kind of can't get away from this life um, and uh, it all all accumulates into one massive finale of everything's just going terribly wrong. It's very, very good. It's a very, very good film. Um, And I would definitely recommend it. Um, There's some great music in it. Um, it, it, It's just so good because films like this that are quite violent and are quite thrilling don't tend to... they, they, They lose a humanity to it somehow where you are literally just watching bad people do bad stuff and there's no connection with them but because the ca- the core characters baby his foster father and the love interest because they're re- they're really nice people you actually get drawn into it it's basically like these really nice people have got involved in a world that they shouldn't be involved in um and it's very very interesting so yeah um i couldn't recommend it enough I, I would honestly give this a solid nine barrels out of ten. Wow. Almost tempted to go up on that. I was engrossed throughout the film. It was one of those films where the, the my surroundings had just disappeared and I was engrossed in this film. Um, so yeah, nine barrels out of ten. Absolutely solid film. Couldn't recommend it enough. Very quirky. Funny. It's got romance. It's got action. It's got thrills. It's got tension. It's got everything in it. It's... It's, you, you couldn't want more from a film, really. It's got everything in it. So, um, go see Baby Driver. Cool. I, I, I do want to see the film, actually. Um, but I probably... Just because there's... I want to see Dunkirk. 
uh, which I think I'll be seeing tonight or in the next few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I want to see Captain Underpants as well, so I probably won't won't manage to see it, but hopefully maybe rent it on Google once it comes out. Yeah, I think. Good. Right. Well, that so there we go. Wraps it up, I think. Yeah, that wraps everything up. Um, did we say? Do we have a plan of what we're doing next week? Nope. We don't. So stay tuned for whatever happens next week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. Bye bye. Bye, everyone. Bye bye now. Bye. You've been listening to the Double Barrel Show with Ben Bernard Smith and Jamie Sellers Thwaites. To find our next episode and previous episodes, find us on SoundCloud, BenBernardSmith.com, or JSTMA.tumblr.com. <laughs>